0: We're all on a journey to reach our full potential and purpose. And no matter where you are on your path, know that we walk together and not alone. At the Mission Leadership Institute, we believe the path to leadership is self-discovery. To support you, we're bringing the most advanced thinkers in the country to help unpack all that we carry with us on this journey in leadership. Before we start, we want our listeners to know that the information provided during this podcast is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Walk With Me podcast. I'm your host, Martin Schreiber with the Providence Mission Leadership Institute. Today I am joined by Margaret Silph. She is the author of several books for 21st century pilgrims, including Inner Compass, She is especially interested in the power of story and the way stories shape our lives and attitudes. Today, we're talking about healthcare leadership and its development of the whole person. Okay, let's get started by welcoming Margaret coming to us from Scotland. We've had some uh, years together, Margaret, and I appreciate uh, the ways that you have always buoyed uh, myself and others throughout the world with the way that you write and the way that you present. And it's an honor for us at the Providence Walk With Me podcast to have you as our guest today. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Martin. Last time I saw you was in Chicago,
0: I think. That's right. It was in Chicago. And and I've gotten to know you over the years, but I know that our our listeners uh, might not know you as well. And so I wanted to start with there of, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, Margaret?
1: Well, you know, Martin, it really isn't about me. <laughs> uh, so I think the main thing to say is it isn't about me. <laughs> um, I don't really know what else to say. Everything I do seems to happen by accident. Um, Landmarks, which was the original title of um, Inner Compass, was an accident. Uh, my whole journey into Ignatius spirituality was pretty accidental, really, and uh, but perhaps not entirely without divine intervention as well (laughs) looking back i think how on earth did that happen how how did i get to this into this situation (laughs) so um really not nothing much to say um i don't have any plan i just uh, dance to the music of what happens as we say in the celtic world
0: Hmm. i love that aspect of dance right and people have described you as one of the most accessible and inviting spiritual writers today And when I think of what we've gone through in our pandemic, uh, the financial world, uh, these levels of maybe even challenges at home uh, and in in relationships, I want to ask you, what is the spirituality that's developing out of all of this?
1: Well, I wouldn't, I can't speak for the rest of the world or indeed for anyone (laughs) else uh, or from any vast experience, but because the retreat world died alongside everything else in March, 2020. So I've been off the, off the air completely and will likely remain. So, um, however, my senses from conversations and reading and so on, and my own instinct, there'd be several ways of evolving. I think, um, one question that is, is important is what, what do we want this future to be we are we talk about the new normal or even worse going back to the old normal but i'd like to i would want to ask what is the new normal what what are, can we be can we imagine that human beings that human life is evolving to something better that's an open question it's a question of faith um, but Théodore Chardin certainly believed that there was a spiritual evolution in process. I, I believe that, not because I have any real evidence, because the evidence doesn't look like that right now, but I certainly think that if we believe in that something can be better, then we are more likely to live in such a way that it becomes a reality. Mm. So that that would be one a kind of evolutionary Spirituality—that things can change, and we can become um, more truly the people we are destined to be. Um, the second thing is clearly, especially in the light of climate change and climate breakdown, it's no longer change; it's meltdown. Right now, look at Bangladesh, for instance. Right. Um, we we urgently need um, an, an eco spirituality. We need a spirituality that that is aware of, of the of the whole planet and all life that it sustains, not just ourselves. I think that's been developing anyway over the years, but it's become urgent now, really urgent. Um, And also the sense that's growing as well, that we are one global family and we can't, any one of us, say it's all about me or any nation can't say that. And I say that on the brink of us getting a new prime minister, which yes. votes very ill because the, bad, the last one is bad enough. Um, the next two, whoever it is, it, it, it can make you despair. Um, of course. But uh, the sense that um, we are one global family and it isn't about one nation or one denomination or one way of seeing things kind of de- uh, dominating... And that's hard, especially it's hard when when you're at the rich end of the scale, mm. and um, to, to level out is going to be a serious leveling down mm. for the rich West.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, so um, a sense of a, a growing sense of it must be a spirituality of justice and um, sharing the resources of, of the planet more equally. We saw it, for instance, in the pandemic with the vaccinations. The uh, the vaccines were not. They were readily available to most people in the West. They're still waiting for them in Africa. Mm. Whatever you think about vaccination, but that was the case. There was a very unequal distribution. And mm-hmm. a, a, a lot of noise about we're sending lots and lots of this stuff to the developing world, but less action, I suspect. Um, a lot of it didn't really materialise. So a spirituality of justice, I would mm-hmm. say, certainly.
0: This spirituality of justice is uh, one of our themes that we've been guiding people through in the pilgrims, uh, the ways that uh, we can develop healthcare leaders to have yeah. concepts like justice, like common good. Um, yeah. And we know that the spirituality for which you have written and the ways of finding God in all things is an inroad into what we're calling mission centered leadership. And there's a practice of mission-centered leadership and one that I believe you've given the world, or at least me personally and others, this sense of what it means to be a pilgrim. And I wanted to ask you, Margaret, what does it mean to be a pilgrim?
1: To be a pilgrim. We used to sing a hymn when I was at school, in primary school, uh, something about to be a pilgrim. The kind of pilgrimage got um, kind of into my psyche quite early well, I don't think I've given anything to the world. I think the world knew about pilgrimage long before I came on the scene. Human <laughs> beings have been doing pilgrimage forever, as long as they've been spiritually aware. Uh, um, I think, but clearly, it's about journey. So we're on a we're on a journey, and that means we haven't arrived, um, and it means anything could happen on the way, and it means we probably don't really know where we're going. <laughs> but it also means we're not travelling alone. Yeah. Um, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales which I didn't really enjoy studying when I was at university but um it's quite entertaining because it's about all these weird and wonderful people all on the way to Canterbury some very pious people and some very impious people and um it's just everybody thrown together uh, in a in a collective really but that the whole idea of Journey Martin takes me to the um to the original meaning of the journeyman in the for apprenticeships, uh, I'm not sure whether that's a concept in the states, but um, I'm sure apprenticeships are. But the, the journeyman thing is a medieval concept, which I don't know how far it's carried forward now. But the apprentice would spend uh, quite some significant time learning the trade from the master, yeah. and. Um, if it, if it was woodwork, for instance, working with wood as a basic skill and then would go on the journey as a journeyman to different people who were doing different kinds of things like roofing or furniture making, cabinet making, to learn their specialties. And, and at the end of what, however many years um, of journeying, the uh, that would that would complete the apprenticeship, and the word journey there is directly from the French journée. Uh, so it was one day at a time. You would, you did, you worked for a day rate, or you worked for your, your keep, really. And the the gift of being taught by the expert. And I've there's two things that both of which I think are relevant to to where we are with this conversation. But one is that that's how Jesus worked with the disciples, and anyone who wanted to listen. So this is this is where we're, we're going on a journey. If you want to know how to live this life that I'm inviting you into, follow me and see how I do it. And so if we think of imaginative meditation, gospel meditation, that's exactly what it is. Let's get in there, and put ourselves at Jesus' feet, as it were, watch him at work, and try to internalize those values and practices that he presents in mm-hmm. our own lives 2,000 years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that the whole Christian journey is, is a pilgrimage like that. Mm-hmm. And Jesus worked on the apprentice model. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, from your point of view and from mine, because um, I live in a medical household, mm-hmm. my daughter's um, an ONG consultant, and my son-in-law is a paramedic and my daughter says often enough that she thinks medical training should be seen as an apprenticeship yes. rather than an academic thing mm-hmm. um, because the way it's done, I don't know how, you, how it's done in the States, but uh, the way we do it here in our medical schools is Uh, People go straight from school, but they spend about two years in the classrooms learning one end of the body from the other and where the bones connect, anatomy, physiology and so on, with some practical work interspersed. But then when they've learned enough not to do too much damage, they go, as it were, on the journeyman process through different specialities to learn how to apply their knowledge to different aspects of, of, of medicine. Like geriatrics, pediatrics, um, obs, obs and guidance on. Um, and eventually, 12 years or so later, they emerge with some kind of specialist qualification. So to come back to the question of pilgrimage, something I've learned through the pandemic is live one day at a time. Don't even try to predict where this is all going in the future, because it is life has become utterly unpredictable. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what's going to happen next. We come through one crisis um, and think, yeah, okay, we're just beginning to recover from a pandemic. And then we get crazy weather all over the world in one particular year, which turns my Australian friends are getting our weather and we're having heat waves and droughts and then torrential rain and so on. And I know it's the same where you are. so we get a meltdown of the, of the climate, we get political total upheaval because nobody's countries throughout many countries throughout the world, your, your own and my own included, are desperately polarized. Almost sometimes it seems like on the point of civil war. We are in Britain, certainly. And um you get political upheaval, and as if that were not enough, you get some, dare I say, crazed individual decides to attack the neighbors. I'm speechless. I hear you. Um, We we didn't see that coming. Nobody saw that coming. Right. Um, I
0: hear you on, on this level of just the unpredictability of the day. And it strikes yeah. me that there's probably some real genius and wisdom to that ancient old method of the examine, which yeah. I have to think wasn't just an Ignatian Loyola kind of pra- pedagogy, but that probably was a civilized way to keep it going. If you do live every day at a time to not miss the day, could yeah. you? T- we had Sister Sharon Becker and some others explain to us in our common goods session around this notion of an examine.
1: Is yeah. it, could you
0: break that up for us a little bit? I yeah. think it is something for our world of what you're talking about now.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure about breaking it up into the steps. The steps are well known, they, yeah. the various questions that can be asked and, and various variations and how to offer it, for instance, to young people and children. And um, So you say it, it is an ancient practice. I think what it, what Ignatius brought to it was the uh, instruction as you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. from your own training it it wasn't it wasn't a request it was an instruction that Mm -hmm. if there was no time for any other kind of prayer then that must not be abandoned right um I won't go through the steps uh, because I'm sure you've you've been through all those but um just maybe how can it be helpful to people who not only have never heard of Ignatius or done, had any contact with formal spirituality, um, but and would probably run a mile if they thought that they were being got at by some religious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen it in uh, Southeast Asia and actually in the Philippines. In um, I'm sure you have too from your travels, how schools. Admittedly, probably Catholic schools were teaching young children to, to look back over the day. Um, i I live in a pretty um secular agnostic household in a way, and um with two children, one 14, one nine, just um, and I've I i would not think it was my right or or even anything I want to do to try and impose anything of my tradition onto them it would certainly not sit well with the parents and uh-huh. and it war with the children but the other day um it wasn't me who did it it was somebody who was visiting and um the little one came to say goodnight and as she's been taught to do and um and then she thought that was it she'd done that so off she went and um but the the guest that we had in the house at the time the house guest Called her back and said, "Hey, hang on a minute." She, she was looking a bit miserable, to be honest. And that's not like her. She's quite cheerful normally. He called her back and said, um, "Just come here a moment." And she went. She went back to him, and he said, "Tell me what, what gave you joy today. What was what was the best thing that happened to you? What made you happy today?" And she grumped, grunted a bit, and I can't remember what she said now, but. Um, she wasn't very very forthcoming, and he said, well, has anything made you sad today? Mm. Now, he is he, a person who knows the exam but wouldn't normally practice it. Um, and I was quite impressed that he thought of applying it in that kind of way. Mm. It seems to me a useful thing if, if you have the luxury of sitting around the table for dinner, which is in our household, we do it whenever we can, but you can imagine with two medics working crazy shifts. Yes. And a 14-year-old who has a social life all of her own, it's not always easy to sit. But when we do, the conversation is usually about tell us about your day. Mm -hmm. And the children are usually only too willing to do that. So without making it look like uh, what did you do wrong or what would you do differently and... You can make it a, a, a practice that, that that becomes a habit that they don't even realise they're doing, mm. to just look back over the day. But um, if we are going to look back on what we think went wrong and what we would do differently, um, I there's, there's a movie that I love to watch. It's one of our Christmas favourites. I don't know if it's even been released over your side of the pond, but it's <laughs> called About Time. Is that...? Mm. A, a, have you that, ever
0: heard of it? Yeah, we're, we'll, we'll wait for the pond to clear and then we'll watch it.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> well, the pond is drying up rapidly. We still to walk across know. Exactly which is right. very good because the planes are not flying and That's nothing's right. working, the trains are on strike <laughs> <laughs> and the buses are being withdrawn and no one can afford fuel for the car. So we'll only get to walk. So we'll be back to pilgrimage. Uh, but... Um, the story is is a, very, it's a kind of um, very lighthearted in a way because it's about a man who believes he has the ability to go back in time, uh, but only for a certain amount of time. If, um, if he thinks, oh, I wish I'd done that differently, he can go into a cupboard and do his thing and it, he goes back to relive the bit that he wished, like, pre-re- like re-recording something you messed up. He does. He, he he can do that, and it's something that passes down to his son. But he's when his son turns twenty-one, he tells his son about this special gift, and the son starts to practice it. So he messes up with a girlfriend in a party and doesn't doesn't take the opportunity to tell her yes that he loves her or whatever. And it so he turns goes back into the cupboard and turns back time. What you can't do, however, is. If you turn it back too far, before, for instance, the conception of a child, the child won't be the same child that you thought it was going to be. So yeah. there's limits on it. But never mind the details. the The message at the end, I thought, really was is very powerful. Um, at the end, there's a scene where this the son um, is looking back over over the day, and his wife he. he his wife says, well, "What was your day like?" And he says, "Oh, oh it's terrible." And, I, I, and he goes through all the things that that, did, that went wrong. And she's—I don't know how it actually happens—but he does. He, he thinks back. He doesn't go in the cover, but He thinks back to the day and starts over. For instance, he goes into the sandwich bar in the morning and he's in a hurry. The girl at the sandwich bar is very friendly and says, I hope you have a good day, you know, and would you would you like it this or that? And she's all smiles and he says, Oh, whatever, you know, just pays her and goes. And he thinks, ah, I wish I'd taken more, I'd been more mindful about that. So yes. he relives it as he wished he'd lived it. Uh-huh. And he's friendly with her. It takes the two minutes to be friendly with her, of course. And so it carries on through the day. Um, And simple incidents that seem negative can become life-giving if only you'd done them differently. Now, going back over the day doesn't enable you to do them differently, but it enables you to be more aware of them tomorrow. So I think for me, that's a very big gift of the, of the exam.
0: I want to thank Margaret for joining us, for her warmth and compassion from Scotland, and to everyone for listening. Watch for part two of our conversation in a future episode. To learn more about Margaret and find her books, go to liolapress.com slash authors slash margaret dash sylph. You can find the Providence Mission Leadership Institute on LinkedIn. Be well.